I'll tell you a story. Uh, Trish and I, years ago, we'd just been married a few months, and we were living in a one-bedroom duplex in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, she was at work that day, and I was at home, and I decided that I was going to make peanut butter cookies. Um, I was 24 years old, and I really didn't know my way around the kitchen. I'd never made cookies before. Um, but I thought, I found a recipe. I go, hey, it can't be that hard, can it? I mean, you just follow the directions. And fortunately, we had all the ingredients at home, and so I got them all together. I was stirring up my batch, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to be a hero. You know, uh, Trish is going to come home, and I've had these cookies made, and my, my wife loves peanut butter. So she's going to love these peanut butter cookies. Well, I put the first batch in the oven, and I, you know, kept an eye on them for a little while. And they looked pretty good at first, and then they started going kind of weird on me, like they were kind of blowing up like a balloon a little bit and getting all super bubbly. And then really quickly, they were getting dark around the edges. And, and then so I took those out. I put the next batch in, hoping for better. No, no luck. You know, they, they turned out the same. And then after they cooled, uh, they were just so fragile. I mean, you took one bite and the whole thing just kind of fell apart. And, and I thought, you know, baking cookies is a lot harder than I thought. Uh, well, Trish came home to my cookie catastrophe. She didn't know what I had done wrong. But, uh, you know, a few days later, she opened up uh, her Tupperware container in the kitchen and she said, where did it all go? And I said, what? She said, the powdered sugar. Oh, I thought that was flour. And the recipe called for three cups. Confusion is a normal human experience. Confusion. Sometimes we're watching a movie, Trisha will lean over and say, do you know what's going on? I go, I'm confused too. And that's why in sports we have, we have instant replay, right? Be to, clear up, to clear up the confusion. And of course with any uh, new thing in life, anything that we try, confusion is inevitable. We begin by not knowing. That's kind of what it means to start out, right? We, we don't know what we're getting into. We don't know everything about it. And it's the same spiritually. Walking with Jesus begins with a great deal of confusion. That's okay. That's normal. It's not comfortable, but it is normal. And you know, there are still things about following Jesus and being his person that I don't, I don't get. I don't understand. I'm still confused about it. And you know, that's also part of faith. It's learning to trust God even when we don't have the answers. I know some of you here this morning may really hesitate to call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and maybe you're even in a group, but to call yourself a disciple seems like a big step for you. But you know, you look in the Bible, you look at Jesus' disciples, how much do they know? <laughs> really not a whole lot, especially at the beginning, and, and, and they, were still, they were still confused a lot. But Jesus calls them his disciples. We have, we have a theme verse for this series. It's, uh, and I want to challenge all of you to, to put this to memory, okay, over these next few weeks. Uh, and I hope that, that right now you'll write it, on the, write it down on your bulletin, take it home, or take a picture of it and take it home. 
It's uh, John 8, 31. It's not very long. Here it is. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, and say the rest with me, will you? You are really my disciples. The word disciple means a learner. A disciple is someone who is a student of life. That means you don't have to pass a test to be a disciple. You just have to be in class. And you're in class every day for the rest of your life. So being a disciple means listening to Jesus and then putting it into practice. And so if you listen to him and you put it into practice, he says, you are really my disciple. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to do it perfectly. But you listen and you get started. So if you can affirm that, then I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I am really a disciple. Did that feel a bit awkward for some of you? My goal, my goal, one of my goals for this series is that we will be able to really own that identity as a disciple. I am really a disciple, flawed, but following. Today we're going to look at a guy in the Bible named Nicodemus. Uh, he wasn't one of Jesus' top 12 disciples, and in our passage today, he's not a disciple at all. But he comes to Jesus because he's confused. So, uh, grab a Bible from in front of you. There's some down by the hymnals, or if you brought your own Bible, or you've got it on your phone, that's great too. And the Pew Bible, it's on page 1064. And uh, one of the things we love to do is give away Bibles. So, after the service, if you don't have a, a readable Bible at home, just tuck that pew Bible under your arm and take it home with you. And if you're wondering where to read, I would say start today by reading that entire chapter of John 3. And I would even say read it three times before you go to bed tonight and see what God says to you, okay? And by the way, I want you to know that the, purposes of, the purpose of my Sunday message, the main purpose is to teach us how to be a disciple. If you're not yet a disciple, I want to help you begin to be a new disciple of Jesus. And if you are his disciple, I want to help you mature into what we call a deep, daring, daily disciple. I think it's over there on the, on the vision banner. A deep, daring, daily disciple. And you know, that's also the purpose of our faith groups. To help you begin as a new disciple and then mature into a deep daring daily disciple that's the purpose of student ministry and, and of children's ministry so let's go let's look take a look at Nicodemus John chapter 3 we're going to start with verse 1 it says now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council Pharisee what's a Pharisee Pharisee was a fraternity of laymen who believed that if, that if enough Jews strictly obeyed every detail of every law of Moses, then God was going to come through in a big way and deliver them from the Romans, just like he delivered their ancestors from Egypt, with mighty miracles. And when that happens, bang, it'll be the kingdom of God. I know the Pharisees, they were so intent on this, they even, they even went beyond what was required. They observed in their homes the purity laws that were meant only for the priests in the temple. 
Now, the problem with the Pharisees was that um, with many of them, they, they weren't doing it out of love for God or love for people. For, the, for too many of them, it was all about status. It was all about prestige. It was all about uh, exalting themselves above others. But a few Pharisees, like Nicodemus, were sincere seekers of God. Nicodemus, it says, there was also a, a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was called the Sanhedrin. And anyway, verse 2, follow with me there, begins this way. He came to Jesus at night. And the way that John's gospel is written, we have to take that seriously because it's more than just an incidental detail. It first of all means that, that Nicodemus doesn't want anyone to see that he's coming to Jesus. Doesn't want anybody to know. The other Pharisees might not approve. And symbolically, it points to the darkness in Nicodemus' soul and his need for the light. So, verse 2, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is confused. Right? He, he's perplexed. Jesus, even though you're not a Pharisee, you don't, you don't follow the, all the restrictions that we Pharisees follow, still you've got to be a teacher that, who's, who's uh, coming from God, is, is uh, called by God, because how could you do these miracles that we see you do all the time without God's power? So Nicodemus' confusion leads to curiosity. You know, I love it when I meet someone who's spiritually curious. Um, I remember, you know, one time, I, and I've done this a few times, talk to somebody, and when I see that spiritual curiosity, I say, you know, I, th I see that in you, and I think it's because God is at work. It's the Holy Spirit working within you, drawing out that curiosity. Now, confusion is natural. Confusion is normal. Don't ever be ashamed of being confused. And so here's what I want us to, to think. This is the big idea for today. Here it is. Let your confusion lead to curiosity. Let's say that together, shall we? Let your confusion lead to curiosity. Because when you're, when you're curious, that means you're eager to learn. When, when you're curious, you, you have this desire to know and to grow and pursue. When you're curious, you start asking questions like Nicodemus, like these kids. Now, remember, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus believes that if enough people rigorously obey every rule, then God's going to deliver his people, and that's when they'll see God's kingdom on earth. Well, Jesus is about to create some more confusion for Nicodemus because he has a different idea of God's kingdom. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You know, I love to preach on this verse. I, lo I love to describe what that means. And, the, and the, the phrase born again can also be translated born anew, born from above. It, it means it's a new start in life that only God can make happen. And that's the beginning of the kingdom of God. But today, instead of focusing on that, we're focusing on Nicodemus. In verse 4, he says, 
How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus, you're so confused. Because, you see, he's thinking about bodily birth. Jesus is talking about a birth of the Spirit. If you skip down to verse 6, he says, Jesus says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so then, in verse 9, Nicodemus expresses both some more confusion and curiosity. He said, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. So here he is. He's a, he's a leader. He's a teacher. But he doesn't yet understand. Back in the 1700s, John Wesley was a lot like Nicodemus, I think. Uh, as a young seminary grad, Wesley became an ordained clergy in the Church of England, and he was very strict about his faith, kind of like a Pharisee. And it was that religious strictness that got him and his friends at Oxford labeled as Methodists. Well, later on, he met a group of Christians from Moravia, which um, is now, I mean, it's a, it's a place now that we call the Czech Republic, a region of that uh, nation. And anyway, John Wesley was on an ocean voyage with some of these Moravian Christians, and a terrible, violent storm arose, threatened to capsize the boat. But the Moravians, they were below deck with the other passengers, and they were calm, and they joined together, and they sang praises to God, and they, they, they just shone this, this, this peace because they knew that their salvation was secure. Wesley, on the other hand, was scared to death and scared for his eternal soul. When they, when they made it home, Wesley became friends with some of the Moravian Christians, and he was confused but curious. He wanted, he wanted what they had. He wanted to experience this same assurance of salvation. Uh, that, that, that these Moravian believers had. And one day, after praying for it for, for weeks, one day God gave it to him. And that was the beginning of the Methodist renewal movement. And that's why we are Methodists today. I remember when God lit a little spark of curiosity in my mind. I was a, a sophomore in college, or excuse me, a sophomore in high school, and, I, and even though I had grown up in the church, I'd gone to, to, to Sunday school every day of my life, it felt like. Uh, but by, on my sophomore year, I just decided I was agnostic. I didn't know whether I believed in God or not, but I was at least looking for signs that God might be real. Anyway, one day we were walking out of English class, we were going into the hallway, and one of my classmates, I heard her make a disparaging comment about another student. She said how stupid it was that Penny had a headache, but she didn't take anything for it. She didn't take any aspirin or anything for it. Penny said that she had just decided she was going to pray about it. And this girl who told me just rolled her eyes and like, how stupid can you get? But for me, it piqued my curiosity. And I thought, what does Penny know about God that I don't know? Why does she believe that God is going to answer her prayer? It made me curious. 
Let me tell you about a guy named Matthew. Uh, Matthew was a music major in college. He was not a Christian. Really didn't want to have anything to do with Christians. Uh, didn't like being around him. But he did have a friend named Don, who was a, who was a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. But uh, the rest of the time, he, Matthew kind of steered clear. But he and Don got along pretty well. They'd go out to coffee shops every once in a while or the bar, and they would talk. Uh, one day, after they kind of gotten to know each other pretty well, Don uh, mentioned that he was planning to move to a different part of the city that was known as kind of a sketchy part, kind of a dangerous part of town. And Matthew couldn't figure out why Don would do that. Don, why would you and your pregnant wife and your one-year-old son go and live in a place like that? Don said, well, Jesus taught that, and he said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but Jesus taught that the poor on this earth are blessed spiritually. They are, in, they are in on some stuff that the rich may never quite grasp. And Matthew looked at him and said, what are you talking about? It, it, it was confusing. And Don said, well, you know, Jesus spent time with, with, with people who, who were poor, had nothing. He told his followers that when they cared for the poor, they were really caring for him. And this started to click. It got Matthew's attention. He got curious. And, then, and over the weeks and months to come, Matthew kept learning more. And eventually he too, he gave his life to Jesus and became his disciple. Now, once that happens, it doesn't mean that you have all the answers. There are a lot of things that I am still confused about. For example, one of the things that I'm confused about uh, is the question of war. Does, does following Jesus mean that we believe that there, there are and can be good reasons for fighting in war? I mean, that's been uh, one of the historic Christian positions. And, of course, without going into all the arguments for it, uh, through a good part of my life, I've been sympathetic to the idea that to be faith, I could be faithful to Jesus and still fight in a war if it met the criteria for what's called a just war. But now, I'm not so sure there is such a thing as a just war. I've been, I've been watching uh, Ken Burns' uh, uh, you know, his, his series on, on the World War II, and I've already watched some of the one on the Vietnam War, and I watched the one on the Civil War. And, and now I'm wondering, I don't know. And, and I wonder if, if, if loving my enemies, as Jesus says, means maybe not killing them. And I know that this is another historic Christian position. Now, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. I'm still confused. I'm still curious. I'm still trying to, to seek and find and, and search what God's best will is. And as disciples, we give each other permission to work through our confusion, right? As disciples, we give each other the time and the space to work through our confusions. I want to show you a video uh, from a guy, he's a, he's a follower of Jesus, a disciple, and he's had to work through his own confusion following the birth of his son who was born with Down syndrome. Let's watch.
you know, when our son Cade was born, you know, I went, I went through a difficult circumstance. He was born with Down syndrome. We weren't expecting it. It was our firstborn. I had all the hopes and dreams of a firstborn son. I was an athlete and had imagined that I couldn't wait to throw the football around and start to see my son develop into a little mini-me. Uh, and all those expectations were shattered, and I just couldn't help but question God and say, what is going on here? What, what is this about? I thought you were in charge of everything. I thought you knit him together in his mother's womb, but yet this isn't perfect. This isn't the way I define perfect. And God and I went through a season of, of struggle, of, of, of me having to relinquish the sense that I know God and how God thinks and how God ought to do things. There was pride and ego that was getting in the way that, that I kind of thought I had this world figured out through the lens of God. And yet that's the greatest sin, to think that we actually know uh, the way God should be doing things. And so through that, I doubted uh, my own faith. I doubted what I had been believing, what I'd bought into. Uh, and God was gracious through that process, though, and, and helping me come to a, an understanding and a realization that I am not God and that God has ways and plans and ways of working this world together uh, that I might not ever understand, but that I can trust Him, that I can have faith and trust that He has my best interest in mind. And even if I can't explain every circumstance that happens, every bad thing that happens in the world, that God's a God that we can trust that's going to be renewing it, that's going to be making something that seems bad to us into something amazing and beautiful uh, for the world. You ever had to struggle with some confusion like that? Not knowing why. You know, John chapter 3 doesn't tell us how Nicodemus came out, does it? I mean, the last words that we see hear from him in this chapter is, how can this be? He's still confused. But interestingly, that's not the last we hear from Nicodemus. A few chapters later, uh, the chief priests and Pharisees uh, send the temple guards to go arrest Jesus. They come back empty-handed. But Nicodemus is shocked to hear that his peers have already made up their minds about this guy from Nazareth. And Nicodemus speaks up. He says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And his Pharisee friends kind of raise their eyebrows at him and insinuate, well, Nicodemus might be a Jesus sympathizer. And then later, when Jesus is convicted by the Sanhedrin council, it doesn't ever say that Nicodemus spoke up. Maybe he's like some of Jesus' other disciples who betrayed him or denied him or abandoned him. But later that day, later that day, Jesus is dead on the cross. It's almost sundown. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea asks for permission to take Jesus' body down and bury him. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but the Bible says he was kind of a closet disciple because he was afraid. 
afraid of the Jewish leaders. And who's helping Joseph? In John chapter 19, it says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who, had, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Now, the death of Jesus was confusing for a lot of people. I'm sure Nicodemus was one of them. And for all of the disciples, that confusion wouldn't be relieved until a couple of days later on resurrection morning. And even then, there were a lot of questions. So this morning, I say, it's okay if you're confused about things. That's normal. We go through times like that. But let your confusion lead to curiosity. And take that curiosity and begin to explore. Pursue. See, see where it takes you. Because the curiosity means that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, awakening you. Jesus is, is opening your heart and you can ask Him to make your heart His home. Just put your faith in Him. Put your life in His hands and you too will be His new disciple. So, to be a disciple means you don't have to have all the answers. I don't know anybody who does. But confusion can lead the way to curiosity, and curiosity can lead the way to Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, what an awesome thing that you, you recognize our, our confusion, and you don't let it put you off. Uh, you're ready to work with us right where we are. and we, we thank you so much. Lord, because there's so much we don't know and don't understand, um, help us, Lord, as we, as we walk from the, and move from confusion and to, to let it inspire some curiosity um, that we can uh, begin to ask deep questions, that we can begin to have conversations like, like Nicodemus had with Jesus. Um, so, Lord... Right now, some of us here, we've been, we've been sitting in our confusion a long time. Maybe we've been kind of stuck even in our curiosity and didn't know where to turn next. But some of us here today, Lord, are saying, yes, Jesus, I want to belong to you. So I put my faith in you. I put my life in your hands. I want to belong to you and believe in you and follow you. And if that's where you are today, if that's the, the, the place you are in saying, I want to belong to Jesus and be his flawed but following disciple, I'm going to ask you just while we're still praying now, just lift your hand and say, me too, Jesus. Let me be a part of that. Thank you. Jesus, you hear our prayers and we ask that you will come and make your home inside of each one of us. Help us to know what Nicodemus discovered. Help us to know what Matthew discovered. We pray in Jesus' name.